Welcome to the Big Red for America podcast. I'm your host, Big Red. Let's get right into it, shall we? First on the docket today is HR1. Hey, would you look at that? <laughs> it's almost it's almost like it was planned. Uh, after the most controversial and confusing election with recounts, audits, and lawsuits, oh my, uh, House Democrats passed HR1, also known as the For the People Act, to to further decrease our faith in our elections? No, that, that can't possibly be right. The bill, uh, uh, let me see here. Mm, no, it's, it's right here. Yeah, undermines election integrity in favor of voting access. Today, we'll take a deep, deep dive into H.R. 1 to see what exactly is in it and how it will impact our democracy. Before we dig into H.R. 1, it's important to understand the background. Like, why is this bill being pushed so hard right now? Um, And the reason why is because whenever Democrats lose an election or don't have the amount of power that they wish they had, they kind of, they don't kind of, they will blame voter suppression. Just like the right has kind of gone on this hunt for voter fraud, the left believes voter suppression is the reason why they don't have complete and total power of the government. So it's, it's the never-ending battle between the two sides. It's voter fraud versus voter suppression. But the problem with the voter suppression is that unlike voter fraud, where you can actually look at the ballot and determine, oh, okay, this was cast illegally, this person either isn't eligible to vote, isn't registered, is voting in the wrong space, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can never really prove voter suppression because you can't prove who didn't show up to the election. And there's no true way to count of... of uh, how what impact these these quote suppressive voter policies have on the populace it is essentially just a whole lot of correlation equals causation reasoning which we all know um isn't isn't logical but uh, that's kind of the the hole the left has kind of dug themselves into and they're willing to die in it um so before we really dive into hr1 it's important to know that this this is such a big issue for the left, and we're going to kind of look at the ACLU talking points that describe what the left thinks about voter suppression and how they believe voter suppression um, impacts voters in this country. So what are the ACLU talking points exactly? Uh, the ACLU has a whole litany of points that they believe lead to voter suppression, and we'll kind of go through them one by one. And like a lot of leftist narratives, once you kind of start peeling them back, get past the buzzwords and start looking at cold, hard facts. They really, really don't hold any water. Um, So the first thing that the ACLU talks about that uh, leads to voter suppression is voter ID laws because the ACLU and the Democrats really don't believe minorities are smart enough to get them. That's essentially what it comes down to. They believe, um, maybe not overtly, but definitely covertly believe that they're not intelligent enough or lack the drive. And, you know, you can see that when anyone tells you, oh, minorities can't get a voter ID, just ask them why. And it'll actually sound pretty, the reasoning that they'll produce is actually pretty racist if you, if you really sit down and listen to it. Um, next, the ACLU says how voter registration deadlines repress votes. But the best the ACLU can do is by quoting New York's law that requires voters to register 25 days before an election. So I just want to point that out to you. The ACLU is quoting New York, liberal New York's law, for registering 25 days before an election. 
Um, and this is the quote from the ACLU website. By forcing voters to register before the election even becomes salient to the public, it discourages people from getting registered to vote in the first place. And really salient to the public? The left really believes that people don't know about an election until less than 25 days beforehand. And my response to that would be, are you joking? For The Democrats started campaigning for 2020 and 2016. And the summer leading up to the election... I could tell Facebook, Instagram, the mainstream media, even the NBA was highly, highly advertising everyone to get registered to vote. So for the left to pretend that they, Americans don't know about an election until less than three weeks before is just, it's just simply crazy. Uh, the ACLU continues, 70%, you know, they talk about voter purges. And they, talk, they say that 70% of the voters who were purged in 2018 were black. Um, which is, of course, horrible. Um, but also, <laughs> the left just likes to throw that out there like, oh, 70% were black. They try to get everyone up on their heels. But let's take a deeper look into it. What is exactly the process to get removed from Georgia's voter rolls? And this is from apmreports.org. They say that the removal process is triggered if you don't vote, respond to a notice, or make contact with an election official in over a three-year span. But that's not it. That's not the end of the cycle. You don't just get thrown out then. Then, if you don't vote or make contact in two more federal election cycles, you will be purged from the rolls. The process takes seven years. So for the people who were purged in 2018, it means they didn't vote or respond to an election official somewhere back in the 2011-2012 range, you know, potentially, or even 2013-14. So they probably didn't vote for Obama back in 2012, um... And then they missed out on two more federal election cycles, so they didn't vote for either Congress or Obama-Romney again, and it's possible they didn't even vote for Trump or Hillary in 2016. So if you're missing out almost a decade of federal elections, you're probably not interested in the election, or by chance, maybe you uh, moved and need to update your registration, but it's not just a you know, completely random, you know, the Republicans aren't going around just knocking people out of the voter rolls. It's a seven-year process. It's a seven-year process, and they didn't vote once in those seven years. The ASLU also continues and says across the country, one in 13 black Americans cannot vote due to disenfranchisement laws. I think that deserves a deeper dive, uh, deeper than I can get into in this episode as to as to why why is there this issue among the black community. Uh, I think the fault lies with the, uh, how the left has encouraged fatherlessness and you know cyclical poverty in the inner cities that that disproportionately affects minorities. But you know that's a little deeper than I can get into this episode. The ASLU also complains that across the country, counties with larger minority populations have fewer polling sites and poll workers per voter. But just you know, quick little throw in there is that these places are typically run by Democrats. Uh, a c- research shows or re- a study done by the Congressional Research Service report describes the breakdown between state and local elections administrations. And they say that, quote, states typically have the primary responsibility for making decisions about the rules of elections. And localities typically have a primary responsibility for conducting elections in accordance with those rules. So it could be a state issue that they're not giving enough money or resources to these localities, but the, but probably the issue is, is that um, 
the left just isn't the Democrats in these cities just aren't running their elections either appropriately or um, you know they are the ones who are responsible for the understaffing for the long lines. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't prevent the ACLU from complaining about it because they'll complain about the issues, but they'll just leave out the fact that these places are normally run by Democrats. And then just kind of top off how kind of flaky and how weak this argument is, the ACLU throws in at the last one. Six in ten college students come from out-of-state New Hampshire. The state is trying to block residents with an out-of-state driver's license from voting. Um, my response is that the, all these college students could easily vote in their home states and get an absentee ballot that way. That's what I did in college. It's very easy. I don't know why you'd want to vote in New Hampshire. Vote in your home state. You know, you're going to maybe live in New Hampshire for four years, assuming you're going for your undergraduate for maybe six, seven months out of the year. Vote in your home state. But um, it's, it's important to lay the groundwork for the issue of talking points because this, this sets the stage as to why the left is, so, is trying to push H.R. 1 so hard. Now that we've laid the groundwork as to this issue, this quote-unquote issue of voter suppression that the left keeps complaining about, um, you know, and I've set the background for H.R. 1 and all that, let's go into how H.R. 1 really just goes crazy trying to tackle this issue of voter suppression. Uh, the first way they do this is by egregiously expanding voter access to people who, are ev- who aren't even eligible to vote. Uh, Section 1012 of H.R. 1 forces all states to automatically register, listen to this, all eligible individuals. Did you catch that? Did you catch the subtle phraseology? All eligible individuals, not citizens. Um, H.R. 1 does require people to make an affirmation of citizenship in order to be able to vote, but it does not give any sort of guidance on how that will be done. So, because H.R. 1 will automatically register all eligible individuals, unless they decline to register, um, H.R. 1 will automatically register people who are ineligible to vote, like like illegal immigrants, like non-citizens, uh, do you know how I know this? I know this because not that much later in Section 1015, the Democrats built in protections, legal protections, to protect these non-citizens who are inevitably registered to vote from any sort of um, legal repercussions. Section 1015 reads, quote, an individual shall not be prosecuted under any federal or state law adversely affecting any civil education concerning immigration status or naturalization um, based on the following grounds. And one of the grounds is that the individual declined the opportunity to register to vote or did not make an affirmation of citizenship, including through automatic registration. So the left is essentially admitting that ineligible illegal immigrants will be registered to vote under H.R. 1, but they want to cover their butts and make sure to build in legal protection so that if they are registered to vote and decline that they are that that they're not citizens, you know, they decline to even to answer the question that they are not pros- that they can't be prosecuted um, under any sort of federal or state law. And like the bill said, they can't be held accountable in any sort of civil proceeding either. So the, you know, the left doesn't necessarily legalize fraudulent voting. They're not that radical yet, but they get, they make it a lot, a lot easier. 
Speaking of ineligible voters who are registered, um, the bill also forces all states to register 16-year-olds to vote even though they are ineligible to vote in federal elections. Section 1012 states, quote, a state may not refuse to treat an individual as an eligible individual for the purposes um, of this part on the grounds that the individual is less than 18 years of age so long as the individual is at least 16 years of age at such time of being registered. Uh, they throw in a little caveat to say nothing in the previous sentence may be construed to require a state to permit an individual who is under 18 years of age at the time of an election to vote in the election. So once again, the bill is registering these people who are ineligible to vote, uh, registering them to vote, and only five states currently allow 16-year-olds to register to vote, and that's from USA.gov. So only 10% of the states allow 16-year-olds to register, but the Democrats, for whatever reason, um, want to register all 16-year-olds to vote, um, and that's probably to lay the groundwork for a future amendment or whatever they want to jam through to essentially allow 16-year-olds to vote. So that is on the horizon there. So in addition to just registering people who are ineligible to vote, like non-citizens, like 16-year-olds, HR1 also just decimates any sort of election integrity safeguards. For example, um, it, HR1 undermines pretty much every single voter ID law by just allowing any person just to bring in a signed affidavit they are who they say they are and allow that to substitute uh, allow that to be a substitute for voter identification. Do you not believe me? Because here it is, section 1903. It says, quote, except as provided in the subsection, if a state has in effect a requirement that an individual present identification as a condition of receiving and casting a ballot in an election for federal office, in the case of an individual who desires to vote in person by presenting the, the appropriate state or local election official with a sworn written statement, Signed by the individual under penalty of perjury, attesting to the individual's identity and attesting that the individual is eligible to vote in this election. So what we're, what the Democrats are basing it off, their hope for election integrity is that people are who they say they are. You know, they come in, um, but they don't need an ID. <laughs> but they can just come in, uh, fill out a piece of paper. It doesn't have to be signed by a notary or anything, another witness. Nope, nope, nope. They can just come in, sign that, and you know what? We'll trust that. We will trust a signed affidavit to be able to vote even though we didn't believe the signed affidavits, the hundreds of signed affidavits that attested to voter irregularity and voter fraud in the 2020 election. But who knows? Maybe something changed like they won the 2020 election, which is the reason why they are now flipping on affidavits, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and then the bill continues on. In section 1903, it says an individual who presents or submits a sworn written statement in accordance with the subsection above shall be permitted to cast a ballot in the election in the same manner as an individual who presents identification. So essentially gutting all voter ID laws just so people can come up, not present any identification, just fill out these forms. Oh, by the way, these forms must be present, must be able to be filled out at the polling station. You, you don't even have to fill it out beforehand. And must be present under this law at every polling station. So, uh, theoretically, someone, I, you, anyone, could walk in to a polling place, register that day, sign one of those forms, um, saying that they are who they say they are, you know, whatever, and cast a non-provisional ballot. 
Like, does, does anybody see a problem with this? Is it just me? <laughs> Am I the only one who sees an issue here? But I can hear the uh, leftist fact checkers just really salivating. They just can't wait to just tear this claim apart. Um, uh, Reuters kind of ran interference for this point, talking about the same-day registration by saying that the 20 states that allow same-day registration, they have increased security measures like proof of identity, um, which we already know is racist, so we can just toss that out there. And if I bring the signed affidavit, theoretically, that's just as good as proving my identity. Um, it continues conclude proof of identity, so that's garbage. And residency, casting of provisional ballots, which we know won't be done um, under HR 1. They just get to cast non-provisional ballots. Statewide voter systems, oath and sworn affidavits, which left already believes are worthless. Um, talking about the voter fraud, the affidavits attesting to voter regularities, voter fraud in the 2020 election. Criminal penalties for fraudulent voting, uh, in-person registration, which actually <laughs> the bill HR1 talks about internet registration, so we can just cross that off the list. Non-forwardable, non-forwardable mailings, restrictions of location, and cross-agency and interstate verification. Um, but it's interesting, HR, you know, as I've said, HR1 just kind of even guts any of the protections for same-day registration. It doesn't say how or if a state can even validate a voter's identity when they register. Um, because according to Joe Biden, of course, and the Democrats, voter ID is racist. Um, even though, according to recent polls, of course, sources side down below, what's it, like 84, 80, 84%? I think it's even higher than that. 84 to 87% of minorities reached in a recent poll were in favor of voter identification. So just throwing that out there. Um, but the and but the bill guts essentially any of these protections, so it HR one reduces the ability for these interstate you know any sort of voter identification validation. But don't worry, these leftist factors are like, oh no, you know, you can do same day registration and it's secure. Look at all look at all these measures that they require. Even though HR one specifically gets rid of all these requirements, you know, just it's the true art of being a liberal is where you purposefully ignore the point of the argument is that HR1 makes elections more secure by focusing on some obscure pick, um, some obscure point. You know, their rooters focused on same-day registration and the security of same-day registration and, you know, and debunked the claims that HR1, you know, quote-unquote debunked, rather, that the claims that HR1 lowers election integrity by spouting out this you know, these facts, and they completely ignore the fact, the point that HR1 gets rid of pretty much all of these safeguards in one form or another. Uh, not only that, but, you know, the super secure mail-in, ba- mail-in voting, you know, which is totally not prone to fraud, um, uh, you don't have to present any identification to get a mail-in ballot, according to the For the People Act. Uh, sec- section 1621 reads, quote, a state may not require an individual to provide any form of identification as a condition of obtaining an absentee ballot. Once again, a state may not require an individual to provide any form of identification as a condition of receiving an absentee ballot, except there is nothing in this paragraph that may be construed to prevent a state from requiring a signature of the individual or similar affirmation as a condition for obtaining an absentee ballot. So, Anyone, you, me, whoever, can request a ballot for me, you, whoever, and just needs to forge a signature in order to get it. And you know, it doesn't even have to be that good. You know why? Because 
um, HR1 restricts, puts heavy restrictions on uh, checking and validating mail-in ballots. So the bill says, um, in order for discrepancy to be fixed, two election officials, one from each party, must both agree that there's a discrepancy before it can even be counted as the discrepancy. And then they reach out to you via text or email or call or in person, and you have 10 days to fix it. So this pretty much guarantees that no mail-in ballots will ever be thrown out because the Democratic election officials can just deny the discrepancy. It doesn't matter how off the signature is, they can just deny, 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 um, and essentially keep the ballots from ever being thrown out. So... Um, all that HR1 does is, that gar- is it guarantees that the 2020 election will keep happening year after year after year. Audits, recounts will just kind of end up being the norm for um, future American elections. There's a reason why most EU countries ban mail-in voting. Of course, sources cited down below. But Democrats don't really seem to notice or care. You know, they want us to be like our European counterparts in all aspects. They want us to be like these semi-socialist, you know, essentially horrific states with no personal liberties, but they don't want the election integrity. I I wonder why. Maybe the Democrats are hoping to use um, this lack of integrity to keep themselves in power. You know, that's neither here nor there. Would never accuse anybody of, you know election fraud or anything like that. So um, it's just interesting. Just things to think about. Just my two cents. So um, that pretty much wraps up all I can bear to talk about on HR1. I'm getting a headache just really thinking about how horribly written this bill is. Um, Maybe later I'll focus on how the federal government will actually um, tax corporations to give politicians money to use on the campaign trail. I am dead serious that's in the bill. But um, for now, we're going to focus on a different type of fraud. We're going to kind of shift gears uh, from voter fraud to how AOC is a fraud and how the statism, uh, the belief that the state is essentially the answer to everything is also a fraud. Before we dive into our next segment on AOC and the fraud of statism, I just want to kind of link these two segments together. Uh, It's important to see the leftist vocabulary that they like to use. They like to use big words, big scary words, um, but they're essentially meaningless. The left, the radical left really designs these words with no meaning just so they can keep trying to solve these problems that in fact they can never solve and they never will solve. So earlier, we heard about voter suppression, kind of this ghost term. It's a really vague term, and as you start to look at the arguments that they put up for it and you just kind of peel them back, you realize that there's nothing really there. But they're going to use that scary term to try to push push very radical legislation. And we'll see in the next piece how Ocasio-Cortez uses uh, systemic inequality to really push the narrative that the government essentially needs more power even though they've wasted millions of dollars in aid. Okay, so unless you've been living under a rock, you know that AOC tweeted out a a picture of her grandmother's house in Puerto Rico, and essentially that she's been living in squalor after after 
the hurricanes in 2017, I think. Um, and even though Trump isn't president anymore, somehow this is all Trump's fault. Um, so how does AOC believe this government failure needs to be rewarded? More government power, of course. Uh, and of, also she was complaining about the condition of her, you know, her grandmother's house from her brand spanking new Tesla. Uh, I'm just kidding, of course. She didn't really actually post from her new Tesla, but a tweet surfaced of her newly leased Tesla illegally parked outside her residence in D.C., which, of course, is always funny how socialists, while constantly demeaning and bagging on the rich, oddly enough become fairly wealthy themselves. <laughs> but that's not really related to the story. Uh, so Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire, uh, great, great website, started a GoFundMe to uh, you know, raise money for AOC's grandma because clearly AOC was very concerned about the condition of her grandma. Um, he raised over $100,000 before it was shut down because, quote, someone, this anonymous person in AOC's family, declined the money. And of course, with as with any you know, conservative on social media, they, Matt Walsh was being called a racist. And uh, the Independent, a great... Sorry, that was sarcastic news source said they titled an article about the incident quote a quote right-wing blogger launches gofundme for aoc's puerto rico grandmother and latest personal attack i i just want to read that one more time <laughs> right-wing blogger launches gofundme okay i got that so far for aoc's puerto rico grandmother and latest personal attack so really trying to wonder how this is a personal attack you know AOC said her grandmother was living in squalor. Matt Walsh raised over $100,000. Uh, AOC did nothing for her, her grandmother. Uh, but I guess I guess that all counts as a personal attack. Why? I mean, because racism. Uh, the independent article reads, quote, you know, about this whole thing that Matt, that this action, quote, blankets over the point Miss Ocasio-Cortez made concerning the broader and more systemic issues keeping many residents on this island in similar or worse conditions. Keyword there, systemic issues. So an issue that the government really can't solve, that, the government, that AOC really has no issue of solving, but just a way to complain, try to get more, you know, have the government waste more money, um, give her more power. But... Let's actually look. Why are the conditions so bad in Puerto Rico? Obviously, they got crushed by two hurricanes um, a few years ago. But, <laughs> but it doesn't take that much research to learn out that government mismanagement has essentially has, is the reason why the island hasn't recovered. The Daily Mail interviewed AOC's aunt who lives on the island, and she said that it's a problem here in Puerto Rico with the administration and the distribution of help. It is not a problem with Washington. We had the assistance, and it didn't get to the people. So, hmm. Hmm, I, I, I'm not seeing... So are you telling me that the government failed its own citizens, and that maybe we shouldn't give it more power? I would, I'm, totally, I'm totally surprised. Totally shocked. Uh, but talking about how the assistance didn't get to the people, uh, the Blaze article reads that the head of the Puerto Rico's emergency services was fired after unused hurricane supplies were discovered. Um, essentially, water bottles, uh, unused water bottles were filled, were found, sorry, in a warehouse after the hurricane and essentially led to uh, the governor firing the head of the emergency management services. And of course, I know you guys are thinking, 
well, Matthias, you know, that's, that's Blaze. That's a right-wing source. I don't really trust that information. Well, here's a report from the Weather Channel. It said that uh, FEMA mismanaged aid to Puerto Rico after Hurricanes Maria and Irma. This article was published in October of 2020. It says that the Inspector General investigation revealed that FEMA lost sight of an estimated $250 million worth of relief supplies it shipped to Puerto Rico. $250 million of supplies got lost by the federal government. Once again, not surprised, but um, FEMA shipped more than 25 million gallons of water, but only 37% of reached distribution points. So some easy numbers for you, only about you know, 9.25 million gallons made it out of the 25. That leaves almost 16 million gallons missing. Uh, It says also that about 45% of the 53 million meals shipped during the same time reached the distribution points. So that left about 23, only 23 million, 23 million meals made it and 30 million didn't. That's, that's staggering. Once again, government mismanagement. Government mismanagement. Um, it also said the last year tens of thousands of water bottles had been delivered by FEMA were found on the grounds of a private estate in Puerto Rico. Of course, these bottles were unopened and expired. And in an unrelated note at the end of the article, the Weather, Ch- the Weather Channel says that six government officials were recently charged with embezzling $15 million in hurricane reconstruction money. And that uh, because FEMA mismanaged the contracts for the all the supplies uh they estimated that the cost overruns were approximately 180 million dollars 180 million dollars we're looking at over a almost almost a half a million dollars wasted by the federal government uh for her for in hurricane relief you know thousands of gallons of water and millions of meals didn't make it to the puerto rican people how does AOC want this to be how, – how does she want this to be rewarded? More power. Obviously, a bigger government wouldn't allow these things to happen. And it's just, it's just a fallacy. It's just a fallacy. Um, and there's another article by Fox News that said FBI in Puerto Rico investigating if corrupt local officials are withholding or mishandling crucial supplies. According to island inhabitants, one island official was even accused of stuffing his own car full of goods meant for the suffering populace. So why, tell me again, why are we going to reward government failures with more power? It's because AOC believes the state is the answer, even when it caused the problem. More power, more power, more power. Um, So many conservative commentators jump to hypocrisy when criticizing AOC because like all socialists, like all government socialists, I should say, um, she's rich. And she was complaining about... um, the conditions of her grandma. I don't know whether she sent money personally or whatever, but I, if I had to guess, I would say that she wouldn't, that she didn't. And, but she did buy herself a new Tesla, so nobody worry. Um, she's saving the planet. She bought herself a new Tesla. Um, but James Lindsay, actually, he's a mathematician. Uh, he's a progressive, self-described progressive. I think had a much more appropriate um, approach, not really approach, but more appropriate Um, view on this whole debacle. In a series of tweets, he said that he that the left believes that essentially the left believes the state's the answer even when the state caused the problem, like I said before. 
and that Walsh showed how the private market was so, so much more effective. You know, the left, the gut, sorry, the government lost $250 million, um, over $250 million in supplies, but, you know, in a matter of days, in a matter of days, Walsh was able to raise over $100,000. Um, but, and this ties into the point, the whole kind of message of this episode is that the left frames all of its issues as abstractions so they can deny responsibility when their policies fail. The problem is always out there. You know, AOC's the Independent talked about systematic, systemic inequalities or just Trump. You know, she just blamed Trump. Or, you know, insert whatever woke term here, woke term of the week. Essentially so they can deny responsibility and and really never solve anything, never get anything done. So uh, the statism, this belief that the state will fix everything is a fraud uh, because it's essentially selling a false false bill of goods you know, with, with flashy marketing. Um, uh, in the tweets, Lindsay said that AOC is saying that the government sucks and it's someone else's fault, to, so give us more power to govern. Troll, which is Matt Walsh, is saying that the government is always bad at these things, like hurricane relief, and we proved that there are better solutions and that AOC is a fraud and her leftist program is a fraud. He continues, in essence, the stunt showed that AOC believes in statism and, and when the state fails, more statism is the answer while simultaneously proving the absurdity of the claim by producing huge material resources to solve the real world, real world problem in ours. I'll boil it down for you. So, you know, this, like I said before, Walsh's stunt pointed out that the government really isn't the answer. It can't solve all these issues. It's bad at solving these issues because even, like I said, a few days raised over $100,000. So it's quite, quite, quite a nice chunk of change. Um, but AOC doesn't care because the government has to always be the answer. It has to, has to, has to. Because um, essentially, the government is the church of the left. The government is what provides you meaning. It's what provides you, you know, it's their religion. The government is their religion. The secular left, the government is their God. And then, and Lindsay talks about this. He says, quote, this religious statism is the fraud at the heart of leftism. And so is the fact that they have to sell it that all they have to sell it is a certain set of rhetorical strategies that work but are ultimately empty. And right needs to expose this, explain it, and articulate its alternatives. We could combat this lie, this fraud of statism, by pointing out uh, where leftist policies have failed. And it's really easy to do. We can just take a look at states like California. Um, where people are fleeing essentially in en masse uh, from that state, and Democrats, radical Democrats, have controlled that state for quite some time. You know, why is gas so high in California? Why is it so expensive? Why is rent so high? Um, we can just point out that the belief that more government will solve these issues is clearly not the problem. Is clearly not the case because California has expanded, expanded, expanded its state government. And these issues just seem to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, so it just points out, just using real-world examples of how statism is a fraud and how it can never, it will never accomplish the utopia that the left believes it will, but they'll keep using these 
these big scary words, systemic racism, systemic inequality, whiteness, to keep scaring, you know, well-meaning Americans into voting for them and for them, giving them more power to expand the state. But um, there's a reason why they use these big scary words that are essentially meaningless is because then uh, they never have to be solved. They never actually have to solve the issue of systemic racism. Newsflash, they never will. That term, these terms that the radical left uses are designed to keep giving them more power, more power, more power, and to never be solved. You know, you think if you bow down to, you know, the leftists on some of these issues, eventually they'll stop. No, no, they'll keep demanding more and more power. Um, And as we see, the government is horrible, um, essentially at just functioning. (laughs) Um, And why why a limited government, a smaller government that can actually keep track of its resources is obviously the better option and it will will end up resulting in more American freedom. And that is the fraud that AOC doesn't want you to see. That's the fraud that the radical left doesn't want you to see. um, It's just how their big government keeps failing, keeps failing and will always fail. But um, they'll continue to ask for more and more power. Well, I think that is all the time we have this week. Please tune in next week as we'll talk about Juneteenth, the newest federal holiday, how and why conservatives need to celebrate it. Do you like what you heard? Do you want to hear more from the Big Red for America team? Go down to the link below to get links to our Instagram, Twitter, Substack, and website. And as always, tune in next week to hear our most recent show. Thank you.